18 through 29, and then we're going to go back and we're going to kind of open this up. It's an expository type teaching or slash preaching from this vein today. It's important. I believe it's the pulse of God. I want you to know that I pray as a pastor. The Spirit, the Scripture says, the Scripture says that, you know, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You know, I don't want to just arbitrarily, you know, grab a, a sermon. I don't reach into a file and pull something out on the last minute. It, it must be what God wants us to embrace. That's my prayer. Can't say I'm always accurate can't say there aren't times that I'm not carnally minded and it's more difficult than at others. But I have, I have sincerely prayed over this, this teaching or slash preaching today because I believe it's necessary for you and for your family. 1 John 2, if you have found it, would you stand in the honor of the reading of the scriptures? Here John says, 18th verse, little children. It is the last time. This is not a children's church lesson. He's speaking to the church in large. He's, teach, he's, he's speaking from an apostolic father's perspective, little children. It is the last time. And as you have heard that, the, that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. It's an important point that we're going to note in a few moments. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. 20th verse, but you have an unction from the Holy One. Many of you don't know what unction means. I'll define it more for you in a few moments. It's actually in the same uh, wording as a word that's in the 27th verse. And you know all things. So you have this unction from the Holy One, which is Jesus, and you know all things. And I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lies of the truth. So this identifies his audience. He's not writing to an unbeliever. He's already expressed or identified them as his children. And now he's saying it's not because you are unlearned in the truth, but you know the truth. And that no lies of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. He that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now some of these words are to a degree repeated, not necessarily repeated, but expounded in the fourth chapter when the apostle speaks of about the spirit of Antichrist being in the world and the possession of faith in the Son. Let that therefore abide in you. Let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. Now, eternal life is something that we possess right now. But that the full redemption, the redemptive nature of eternal life will be granted to us at the return of Christ Jesus. When the body experiences what we've experienced in our own heart, eternal life. That's the, the ultimate gift from God, eternal life. These things have I written to you because here's the apostles, this is his concern. He's concerned about his children being seduced. As a pastor, I'm concerned about our church being seduced, deceived. As a father, I'm concerned about my children being seduced and deceived. 
As a spiritually mature believer, you're concerned about your little children, be it your natural children or those that you have influence. You're concerned. He said, I'm writing because there are those that want to seduce you. But the anointing that you have received of him abides in you. And you need not that any man teach you. That doesn't mean you can leave. But it means you're not dependent upon, right? A spiritual leader. The Holy Spirit is your leader. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Amen? Now today, just to create a context for us, the, the word apologetics comes to my mind. Since in the Greek it means in defense of. It's in defense of something. So for us, Christian apologetics would be in defense of the gospel. This is what we believe. I told you a few weeks ago, I shared this with my membership class today. A few years ago, I felt like I would drift away or I would attempt to drift away from being so doctrinal because I've learned that the sermons that people oftentimes remember are number one, evangelistic, or number two, emotional. But I'll tell you what, the thing that will change your life is doctrine because God's word does not return to him void. And when you get his word inside of you, it is a living entity. It will produce change in you. But you have to have it sown in your heart. You have to open your heart and your mind and you have to be willing to be taught. You have to be willing to study. And so I have since changed that perception about my own self that I would drift away from being so doctrinal. And matter of fact, as our culture drifts away from a true doctrinal foundation, I want to be more rigid in my doctrine, more foundational, and set the course that if you don't have the right foundation, if you don't have the Word of God active and on the inside of you, you know, the Bible, even the book of Proverbs says that if the foundation is broken up, where shall the building, how shall it be erected? And so, thus for us, if we're not rooted and grounded in what we believe, I'll tell you what, then we're going to fall prey to the seduction of the age in which we live. You will. You will fall prey because that spirit of Antichrist is gaining power and momentum every day. It is. And so who's going to withstand it? Is it going to be the White House or the Congress? It's not going to be the political world and the political entities. There's only one voice that has the authority, the power, and the anointing to withstand the spirit of Antichrist, and that's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to be rooted and grounded in Him and in what we believe. Come on. So today, for a title, my message is titled, In Defense of the Gospel. In Defense of the Gospel. Father, I love you. Thank you for this church family who are receptive to what I'm saying and where I'm going today. And I pray that the journey that we make collectively will charge their spiritual batteries 
Father Titus said it was through regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul challenged us by the renewing of our mind. In Ephesians 2, the renewing of our mind. Or excuse me, Romans 12, 2. So God, today we look to that renewing moment, that element, that component that the Word of God produces. Father, may it be quickened by the Holy Spirit. If it's but a lesson, a lecture, a teaching, or a sermon, it will fail miserably. But if it is anointed of the Holy Spirit and written on the fleshly tablet of the heart, the people will walk away here spiritually invigorated, God. It's in Jesus' name I pray. All God's children said, Amen. Thank you so much for your reverence to the Word of God. I appreciate so much you honoring the Word each week by standing in agreement. I'd like to take a moment to just again be able to try to open this particular passage of Scripture up to us. It was difficult. Thank you, Brother Darrell. It was very difficult for us, for me, to narrow down this doctrinal basis in the book of first, or the epistle of First John, for the epistle in, as it, it gains each passage, each chapter, each verse seems to need the strength that the previous chapters and verses gave, and also it's launching forward into the successive chapters and verses. And so, for me to narrow it down, so I started with this with this kind of shift. The, first, the preceding verses above that in 1 John, he had talked about the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye and the pride of life and that if you love the world and the love of the Father is not in you, if your passion and your commitment and your and submission is to the world, then the love of the Father is not inside you. And then he makes a startling statement here in the 18th verse. It seems like as the apostle is writing, it seems like he gets more stern and more... more uh, you know, more, more, more serious, if I can use that word. Just kind of, have you ever tried to have that conversation with your uh, maturing teenager? When in your heart, you know, this is, I got to talk to you about something. This is real. This is big. And you're, and you're just like, I need you to be, you know, I need you to, this is serious. And then, and they're like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I got it, I got it. So the apostle here, I'm glad somebody's not, a, not alone up here in this world. But, but I, I, hear, I hear the apostle saying, listen, this is the real deal. He said, this is the last time. Now, you can look at this, and the last time has a different connotations to it for just a moment of time. The actual word time there is actually... Uh, is, is generation and it's a dispensation and it, it particularly is, is talking about the unfolding events upon the destruction of the temple in the first century and, and the change and the shift that was happening in Judaism and launching forward of the foundation of the church. But at the same time, it is looking ahead Looking ahead, I don't, I don't know when Jesus is coming. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I don't know. Since I have been in Christianity, since I have been in the Pentecostal movement, I have been, I have, I've had taught to me and preached to me that, that, that this is the last time. This is the last time. These are the hours. I remember in the 80s when, when, when uh, uh, the books were written and people were anticipating the return of Christ at certain particular dates and elements, and there was a great emphasis for it. And I, I can't be that pastor. I'm not that pastor that can kind of give you those angles. But I will say this. I don't know. I don't know the, the, all the events surrounding the return of Christ, but, but I will say this. If the time that the Apostle John wrote that word, that he felt like that was the last time, then how much nearer are we today, 2,000 years later? 
How much more should it cost me to be cognitively aware of the need for me to be rooted and grounded in what I believe? And John is measuring it to a degree the last time by the rise of the spirit of Antichrist. He's measuring that. He said, you've heard that this spirit is going to... Now, he doesn't say spirit here. He says that Antichrist. But later in 1 John 4, he says the spirit of Antichrist. Now, there are many that hold to and believe in a singular person that will emerge as a leader in the Middle Eastern climate and perhaps a rebuilt third temple in Jerusalem that we would note as the Antichrist. But our reference today is not necessarily an individual as it is a spirit, a, per, a permeating, pervading, pervasive spirit that we're seeing. You know, it's been in the earth since the beginning uh, or since uh, the time of Christ, but it seems like this spirit is gaining more and more momentum. Again, as I look back and I think about the things that had been taught to me for the last 30 years in Pentecostalism, we're seeing the effects of that spirit stamp and, and grab its stronghold, grab, its, grab the heart of, of nations more today than ever before. And the word anti in Greek simply means to oppose. Oppose Christ. Anti Christ. So John begins to give us a little bit of a dialogue to a degree of what the spirit of Antichrist actually is. And we're going to look at that here in just a few moments because he said many Antichrists are in the world. And you say, well, who then is Antichrist? In the 22nd verse, he answers this. He that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He said, that person is Antichrist, that entity, that ideology, or that theology, or that religion, or even that church, that is Antichrist. Now, you have to read more into the, what he's saying in the 22nd verse of simply saying, well, I know a lot of things, even as Islam, that, that say things about that Jesus is the Christ. But when they say Jesus is the Christ, their, their belief is far different than what your belief is. If you take the time to read 1 John chapter 2, 3, and especially the 4th chapter, as the Apostle John is referring to that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, the 4th chapter, he says, every spirit that confirms confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is that spirit of Antichrist. What John is saying, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, Son of God, Son of Man, atoning sacrifice, fulfilling all of the redemptive roles defined previously by the authors of Scripture, fulfilled in the personhood of Jesus Christ, that when he died on the cross, he would give his flesh and his life's blood as the price of redemption for mankind. That Jesus Christ would walk perfectly among us, fulfilling all the redemptive demands of God, that a holy God looked upon a holy, an unholy people and wanted to welcome them into his presence, but there was no price, there was no payment made for man's transgression until Jesus' blood was shed on the cross. And finally, God was able to look down and say that his blood is sufficient to allow unholy men to be regenerated by the power of my spirit and that now Jesus Christ is welcome welcoming us into the family of God. So I know that's a paraphrase of those passages, but that's when he's talking about, you say, Pastor, is that true? Yeah, read. When John writes, he's writing from the strength of both his gospel, the gospel of John, and also the entirety of the book. So he that is antichrist is he that denies that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for the payment of sin. 
That's what John is saying. Every spirit, 1 John 4 and 3, that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is antichrist. He said this, and I'm going to allude more to this in a moment of time, but he said, they, they went out from us. So the spirit of antichrist seems to have found its beginning point in either Judaism or the early stages of the church. He said they went out from us, but they were not of us. And that's the difficulty of seduction because, and deception because Satan oftentimes has something that's counterfeit that looks awful close to the original. And so they went out from us they looked like us. They may even sounded like us. They may even had some similarities in their doctrine. But they were not of us. Because if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us. To which I'll allude in a moment of time. Now, in weeks gone by, I've noted this. And so I have it in my notes. Previously noted. I've said this in my own uneducated language. Somebody is right. And somebody's wrong. In belief systems, you know, everybody has a belief system. I don't know anybody that doesn't have a belief system at some level. Even the atheist has a belief system. And eternity will reveal who was right and who was wrong. And so you and I have discovered that there are various opinions, even within Christianity. There are certainly very... Uh, various opinions between diverse religions such as Christianity and Islam or Buddhism. We have various opinions found in atheism because atheism is a religion in and of itself for it's made man God, which then actually affords it more to be humanism than atheism. I don't believe that there's a single atheist anywhere. I just, I just don't believe it. It's, it's, it's a myth. And that's because they believe in something. They've just elevated themselves to the place that God should be. Are y'all hearing me today? But here's the truth. And I all claim to have the truth. Now, it's my belief, and this is my personal belief, somebody's got it right. You'll think about the pantheon of ideologies and religions. Surely somebody's got the accurate record and account. It is our belief that the us that we're being referred to is the accurate interpretation of Scripture. Those that have Amen. truly defined and heard the voice of God. Who is that us? So let's talk about who is that us. When John said they went out, that spirit of Antichrist, those that possess that spirit of Antichrist, they went out from us. They were not of us because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. Who is that us? That's really important. Two-lettered word, us. Not U.S. as in United States, us. He's saying they left us. Who is he referring to? That's critical to know the truth in my personal opinion. I believe that in essence what John is saying, when they went out from us, they, he was saying as the church of Jesus Christ, rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the scriptures, the Mosaic law, the Psalms and the prophets that all foreshadowed the coming of Jesus Christ. 
As I have matured in my faith, I, I hope I have matured in my faith, maybe not in other areas. I'm still lacking maturation, but in faith, hopefully there's some maturity there. I've learned to appreciate, I've, I've referenced this more than one occasion, a singular day in the history of mankind that there's just two or three days that were just critical, that just that defined that everything, certainly the cross. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Certainly resurrection morning, the angel said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? For he is not here, for he is risen as he said he would. Come on, somebody. But another day often that goes under the radar to us that you and I have to awaken our reasoning because without it we have no defense of the gospel. And that day is this. It was the day that God came down on Mount Sinai and, and audibly spoke the Ten Commandments in the ears of two million men, women, boys, and girls. See, because Moses had previously gone up on the mountain and said, I've seen God, I heard God. Anybody can go to a solitary place and say, I saw God and I heard God. Mohammed went to a cave. His body shook. He come out, said, I saw God and I heard God, and he gave us Islam. But on that fateful day, Moses said, put a barrier around the mountain because don't let even an animal burst through because if it does, it's got to die. God said on that day, a cloud's going to come down. There'll be lightnings and thunderings and voices. And the mountain itself, in midday, a dark cloud began to descend from heaven. Out of that cloud went those voices and went those lightnings and went those thunderings and rocks began to be blackened on the top of that mountain. And an audible voice was heard from that mountain speaking the word of God. I am the Lord thy God. There's none like me. There are no others beside me. Don't make for yourself a graven image. Love the Lord and honor your parents and do not steal and do not... Are you hearing me? The Ten Commandments was audibly spoken that day to two million men, women, boys, and girls. And from that day, they would look and they said, Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, God is God. There's no God but that God. So when John is saying they went out from us, what he's saying is we are a part of the us that we had the record given to us of our fathers when two million men, women, boys, and girls saw the power and the glory of God sit on the mountain and give us the Ten Commandments. For when Moses came down with the commandment written on stone, the people could read them and say that's exactly what God said to us. Somebody's calling the pastor while he's preaching, and it's my buddy Austin, and you very well take it out there. So he knows dad's preaching right now. But he's in Virginia, and he misses his family. So I'm glad I accidentally left the volume on, or I would have let that call go. Okay, that's a distraction. Where was I? I didn't see that one coming. It wasn't in the notes. So let me think about that for just a moment real quickly. That's what John's saying. So John then, so John for just a moment then, who is John? John is the apostolic father chosen 12. Jesus chose 12. Now, Jesus himself affirmed the scriptures. Jesus said, don't think I've come to take away from the law. He said, I didn't come to take away from it, Joe. I came to fulfill it. He said on more than one occasion, I've said this countless times since I've been the pastor, John 5 and 39, search the scriptures and see. He was so confident. He said, search the scriptures and see, for you think in them you have life, and they are they which testify of me. 
He knew that he was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was manifest and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John would echo those words in his epistle when he said, Our hands have handled, our eyes have seen the Word of life. We were eyewitnesses, Peter said, of his majesty. We walked with him and talked with him. We heard. We were there when the miracles were performed. We saw him coming, walking across the Galilean Sea in the middle of the storm. We were outside of Bethany's burial chamber when he called Lazarus out. We were there. Peter said, I ran to the sepulcher and I looked in and I saw where his body was, but now his body is no longer. I was there in Galilee when he appeared to me and his bright, glorious light drove all the darkness from the room. I was there when Thomas reached his hand, his trembling, shaky hand, and touched the scar on his hand and reached his hand into his side. I was there on the Mount of Olives when he was lifted up into the presence of Almighty God. That's who the us is. That's what John is saying. He's saying we were there with him. We are a part of Judaism. We are a part of the law. We are a part of Israel. And we have seen that Jesus was the fulfillment of the anti-type and the types and shadows of the law. And he's given us true and sound doctrine. Apostolic doctrine is the extension of Jesus' teaching. Go ye and teach all nations all things that I have commanded you. You remember that? That's what apostolic doctrine is. It's rooted, that's a good word, church family. It's rooted in Judaism. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Right, remember this? All 12 apostles and Paul were Jews and they were steeped in the knowledge of scriptures. And so the New Testament unfolds first from the teachings of Jesus as a Jew and his fulfillment of the scriptures and the writings of the apostles who were writing by revelation of the Spirit. That is the us that he was referring to. You know, I love Jesus' affirmation of the scriptures one last time. Did you know that he himself quoted from 24 of the 39 books of the Old Testament during his ministry captured by the four New Testament gospel writers? And did you know that the New Testament epistles along with the gospels quote from 34 of the 39 books of the Old Testament? And so that is the us. It is the continuation, the fulfillment of the, what had been prophesied in the Old Testament and was found its completion in the person of Jesus Christ. How many believe that's the us? To me, that's pretty clearly seen. That's the us. I want to hang out with that group of people. Come on. You can go into uh, uh, that cave with Muhammad if you want to, but I'm not going in that cave. But I'm going to trust in the Lord. There's great deception in the last day. That's what he said. The apostle said. The word seduce in Greek means to roam from safety, truth, or virtue. It's translated as go astray, deceive, or err. E-R-R. It means to seduce or to wander out of the way. It seems as if our adversary's tactics. Paul said the enemy has a scheme. It says, don't be ignorant of his devices. It's to cause even Christians to go, right, to go astray, to be led astray, to be led into error. Paul warned of seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Paul warned of evil men and seducers growing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So therefore, you as a contemporary Christian in America... In 2014, you know what you need to know? You know what you need to know? You need to know the truth. You need to know the truth. 
You need to be rooted and grounded in truth and faith. I've said this previously. I guess this is a day of recollection. I've said this previously and that we have more resources available to us than any other time in human history. But in America today, we are the most biblically illiterate generation that our American culture has ever known. Because we got our faces buried in our iPhones and in our iPads and in our television sets. And nobody's got time to just get in the Word of God. So you got to get in. The, it's not going to just happen. You got to hide the Word in your heart. You got to study to show yourself approved unto God. This 45 minute sermon you get on Sunday morning, as dynamic as it may be, is not sufficient for you to sustain you when the spirit of seduction comes your way. Come on, it's time for us to mature, to grow in faith, to become rooted and grounded. I've said it so often, you got to know what you believe and why you believe it. You got to be able to give a defense of the gospel. When you're asked a question, the Bible says you got to be ready to answer that question. The only way to be able to answer that question is to have an understanding of the Word of God. We will take times to educate ourselves in everything but the Word of God. I don't understand it. We will come to church. We'll pay our tithe. We'll do all this. We'll sit. We'll worship. We'll stand. But we'll go out and spend the entirety of the week never breaking the bread of life that sustains our soul. Why is that? Our work will give us a manual. We'll study it. My son will go to, 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 my sons and daughters go to college. They get books. They study them. My son is in the military. He'll get uh, manuals. He will study them. Why? 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 I ask of you, dear children, are we not hiding the most necessary element in our lives to sustain us in the midst of the days in which we live, the Word of God? Why are we uh, not getting this revelation in our heart? We are without excuse. And so therefore, we find ourselves falling prey to the seduction of the age. Let me go over a couple things quickly before I close today. I believe the deception of the age and the seduction. Now think about this, the spirit of Antichrist. What is the spirit of Antichrist? It opposes Christ. Quickly, let me touch on a couple of things very quickly today, but one in particular. Two in particular. Number one, that spirit of Antichrist is found in historical and modern Judaism. Unfortunately, the, those that, he, that he's writing about are many of his own Jewish brothers who rejected Christ. John said he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The stone that the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. And so even modern Judaism, we saw it firsthand, Shane, Jojo, and myself, we saw we were grieved when we came back because even though we, re, we, we respect deeply Jewish men and women by lineage who are sons and daughters of Abraham, to be honest, they possess the spirit of Antichrist because they don't believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Are you all hearing me today? So that's the spirit of Antichrist. Number two, that you and I just know in the age of deception, the world's religions, especially Islam, especially Islam has come to the forefront. It has come to the forefront in our culture, and it's not stopping. ISIS sent word out last week that they will not rest until an ISIS flag hangs in the White House. i tell you, this is a real-world conflict that's taking place, and it can't just be fought with, come on, though we, there are times that's got to be done as well, like right now. Our nation has my support to defend those helpless people that are being mass slaughtered. 
And this is not in, in evangelical terms. I mean, the news reports have told us this week 90 men, husbands, fathers, were massacred by ISIS in northern Iraq. So this is a real-world event that's taking place right in front of us. The world's religions, Islam. Islam blatantly opposes the doctrine of the Son of God. God has no son. Did you know written on the, 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 what is it called, the golden dome, what's it called? The Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that that has something to do with Christianity and with Judaism, but it, it's not. It's Islam's second most holiest place or third most holiest place. And written and inscribed in the top of it are these words, paraphrase, God has no son. It blatantly opposes the... And you've got to be prepared to be in defense of what you believe. I believe God had a son. I tell you, the skinny preacher preached it last Sunday when Gabriel announced to Mary, this thing that is born of thee shall be called the Son of God. So I believe that we are seeing that opposition come to the forefront. But today, let me tell you, another spirit of Antichrist that we see more in our culture than we do Islam is what I call, this is Lee Brown's uh, prognosis, good old boy religion. Good old boy religion is held by many in the United States that say they are Christians, but in works and in sincerity of faith deny him. Did you know 80% of Americans claim to be Christian? And you can tell me, you look around at the condition of the United States of America, and you tell me 8 out of 10 people that are in the White House, that are on the streets, that are at your job, that are in the school system, that are working at the hospital, that are moving and working in our factories, that are on our, our police forces, that are in our military, that eight out of ten are genuinely born-again Christians? You know, tell me, no, absolutely not. So what we have in America today is that the reality is, is that there are many that do not continue with us. Us. They are not rooted in truth, nor do they practice righteousness. They are drinkers and brawlers. They are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They have a belief in Jesus rather than believing in and believing on Jesus. And there's a distinct difference. Even the devils believe. Anybody say, I can believe in Jesus, but believing in him for salvation. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I tell you to do? Jesus said that there are two paths one is wide. One, it's a wide path, and it leads to a wide gate, and many follow it. It leads to destruction. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Jesus' words demanded conversion. Christianity demands a change. Conversion will produce that change. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. You can hear good sermons. You can give in the offering. You can even occasionally read your Bible. But unless the Spirit of God creates regeneration in your heart, then you have a form of godliness, but you don't have the true power thereof. And so the truth of the gospel is a life-changing faith and experience with Jesus Christ. Many are building their houses on the sinking sand of good old boy religion. Good old boys never doing no harm. Are you hearing me today? Just been in trouble with the law since the day they were born. But they don't know Christ. And that's just as dangerous as the ISIS flag.
because it's opposing the truth of the gospel. Number four, those who believe there are multiple paths to God is the spirit of Antichrist. That's hard for some of you because you're thinking, well, who are these people? They are our politicians at times. They're our celebrities. And many times they're our college professors. Hello? And many times they're our own preachers and pastors and teachers. Let me say this, and I'm about to close. Some of you are saying, thank the Lord. But it's a good word, whether you like it or not. It's a good word, it's got to be preached. Listen to this real quickly. Jesus was blatant. He was just blatant. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's what he said. Okay, now you say, well, well, I don't think you really meant that. So when you say this, I heard this when I was in the military. I can remember. I couldn't get off the phone fast enough. I, I heard so I was about 23 or 4 years old, and somebody was on, and we were having a conversation. I was trying to wrap up something on the phone, some important military business of some kind, like ordering some little $2 part, I'm sure. And so I was finishing it, and they were having a religious conversation, and this one person said, I believe that Christ was to the Western world and, um, and such, and so Islam and Muhammad is to this other Eastern, and Buddha was to the, the far Eastern, and I couldn't get off of that phone fast enough, and finally I wrapped my conversation up, and I put it down, and I said, let me tell you, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. And when you say, listen, let me tell you, when you say that well, Christianity, what you're doing is you are making Jesus Christ a liar. You're saying, well, Jesus said it, but I don't believe it. This is what I believe. So therefore, you are opposing. You are, come on now, let's don't play games in here today. You are, your ideology, wherever you got it from, is opposing the teachings of Jesus Christ. And it makes you the spirit. You may not be flying that black flag of ISIS and murdering people in northern Iraq, but if you believe there are other paths to heaven other than through Christ Jesus, you are duped, deceived by the spirit of Antichrist, and you are, oh my God, that's a good word. That's the truth. I'm in defense of the gospel. Lastly today, say, Pastor, what do I need to not be deceived? What do I need? To not be deceived and seduced you and I have got to have the anointing. Listen, we've got to have an anointing in our lives. We've got to have a quickened work of the Holy Spirit. That word anointing in the Greek is charisma, and it means smearing the ungent endowment, unction, power of the Holy Ghost. It is that quickened work of the Holy Spirit who reveals his word to me. Do you remember what John said in 1 John 4? He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, for many spirits are come that are not of God. We've got to be able to discern those spirits, and the way we discern those spirits is by the quickening work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives as we judge statements, ideologies, and religious creeds and constitutions by the revelation of God's holy word. Jesus himself said, It is expedient for you that I go away. If I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send the comforter. And when he comes, he said, He will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. He will receive of mine and 
share it with you. How do I know that I've got the anointing in my life? How do I know that I've got the truth? The truth is found in Jesus Christ. And when I have a word, an unction, I have an anointing, something that is lifting up Christ, magnifying his redemptive work, showing me him in his beauty, his power, his grace, and the promise of his soon and imminent return. I can look at that and say that is the anointing. That's the work of the Spirit because Christ is being glorified in my life. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit teaches truth. That truth is in Jesus. You and I are frustrated with other religions, but we don't hate because he that hateth is not perfected in love. Perfect love, the Father of lights, God is love. God is love, and so we learn to walk in love. He that hateth his brother is in darkness even unto now, but he that loveth. He that loveth, even in our frustration, even in our aggravation, even when we are grieved and concerned with ideologies and religions, we do not hate people, but we pray. We pray for them in love, and so we walk in love. We walk in grace, and we walk in mercy because we have an anointing upon our life. We learn to forgive, and it is a learned process. Come on, somebody. Because the Father dwells within me by the power of his Holy Spirit. Daryl, join me on the platform as we close. The Holy Spirit teaches you and I to avoid things that grieve his heart. That's what the anointing does for you. How are you going to keep yourself from sin? Because i got an anointing upon my life. Come on, how do I know what's right and wrong? I've got a revelation of the truth of the scriptures. Right? It's not a historical book. To me, it's a living word. This thing's more alive than anything that you and I can see, hear, smell, feel, or taste. Come on. It's the living word of God. The heavens will be folded up like a garment, but this word will live forever. Hallelujah. We never, you and I never confess salvation through works, but the Spirit brings forth good works that accompany salvation. We learn to walk in the light as He is in the light. Does that make sense today? It's a process. Remember, He said, they went out from us. They were not of us because if they were of us, they would have continued with us. John it's very rigid in his belief system that he gives us. He doesn't just give a, a mass covering to every ideology and theology and religion. No matter how much you like it, no matter how much you like your celebrity that has given another... Uh, listen, John doesn't give us a mass covering, does he? John is very blatant. If you don't believe in the Son, then you don't have the Father. That's what he said. So the Holy Spirit within me produces an anointing and it teaches me to deny ungodliness and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present generation in defense of the gospel. I have three questions for you in dismissal in the time of surrender to the Lord in our hearts and minds. Questions that I would want my children to answer. Questions that I would ask myself. Questions that I believe that we need to ask ourselves. Do you ask yourself questions? I do. I, I, I take a, you know, I, when I was in the military, I guess I have the military on my mind today, I was an inventory management specialist, which meant I counted parts to a certain degree. So, but we took inventory. Paul said, you know, he said, examine yourself. Are you in the faith? I say, you have to ask yourself questions based upon what you've heard. I have three quick questions for you today for every person. Number one, even if you're saved, if you're saved, are you rooted in the truth? Do you read and study the Word? 
Come on, is this the only time that you hear the Word of God? Is what you hear on Sunday morning? Let me tell you, you will be forever an anemic Christian. I'm not saying you're not born again and going to heaven. I'm saying you will never mature until you learn to get this Word in you. And you are always more susceptible to seduction without the Word in you. You've got to set your heart I remember one pastor, and I've told this before, one pastor, it was Jerry Savelle, a, a Word of Faith pastor, that when he, upon his early conversion, he would want to wake up and get into the Word of God and, and he, because he knew to hide the Word in your heart. You'll not sin against God. Renew your mind by the Word. But every time he'd get in that Word in the morning time, he would drift. How many of you have ever had that? Right? Well, there's a reason behind it because the Word brings peace. But so what he found out, there was one place that he could be in his house where he would not fall asleep when he would read the Word early in the morning. And that was he would stand on the edge of his old cast iron bathtub in his bathroom and he would read the Word of God. I'll tell you, do whatever you got to do. Get it on CD, listen to it. I knew people that put it in an old tape recorder, those old cassette recorders, put it in their pillow at night, go to bed. You got it on your iPhone now. Come on, we are without excuse. Get it in you. Faith comes by hearing as you hear it. Glean it, study it, read it. Come on, get, get in the book of Ephesians. Come on, get in the book of Galatians. Read the book of Romans. Come on, get this word in you. Know these epistles. That's apostolic doctrine. It will change your life. You will not be susceptible, as susceptible to seduction and deception in, if you're rooted in the truth. Number two, do you have an anointing in your life? If you don't have an anointing, then you have to ask the Father, God, I need an anointing. I tell you, my life changed with an anointing. When the presence of God, I will pray for any person that comes forward and says, Pastor Brown, as I resist the spirit of Antichrist and study the word, I need the anointing, Pastor. And pastors, would y'all lay hands on me today that God will give me an anointing. I will. I'll pray with you today. We will not leave this building until we pray with you today because you need the anointing. And lastly, as our heads are bowed and our eyes closed in the presence of God, is there anyone here today that would say, Pastor that would answer this question. My third question was this. Do you trust in Christ as your Savior? Do you trust in Christ? Are you born again? Remember what John said? He said, I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the truth. The truth is in you through Christ. Do you have that assurance? Has the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed you from all sin? Have you accepted Christ? These are words that we've used in, in ministry and church. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And if any man will open to him, he will come in and he will sup with you. Come on, it's, an, it's, a, it's a metaphor of relationship. Come on, but you've got to open the door. You've got to allow him access. You have to put your heart and faith and belief in what he accomplished at the cross. If there's anybody, young or old, male or female, visitor or longtime adherent today that says, Pastor Brown, today I need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Pastor, would you pray with me? Quickly slip your hand up. I'll pray with you right where you're at today. Is there anybody today? I look from my left as I scan the building to pray. Is there a single person here today? Anyone at all? Anyone, take examination. Do inventory right now. Don't play church with me. I'm telling you, if this is the last time, this can be the last hour. 
Come on, if this is the last time, this can be the last time. What if he were to come? This might be the last sermon you ever hear. Pastor, you're trying to manipulate me. No, I'm trying to cause you to live in light of his coming. Because he concluded, John concluded and said, you'll be ashamed of him at his coming. You'll be ashamed if you don't accept him into your heart today at his coming. You will hide your face when he appears in the clouds because you'll be away from him in faith. Is there anyone today? Anybody? I ask our church to stand up today. Well, I see that hand. We're going to pray. As y'all stand up, we're going to pray a simple prayer today. Thank you so much. Thank you for raising that hand today. We're going to pray. Our heads are bowed, eyes closed, right there at the very